book of Acts. This is uh, our fall series. It's a great book. Tonight, uh, we're going to deal with the first 11 verses of Acts. And if you really want to know, these 11 verses, they really set the entire tone, if you will, for the whole book, to be honest with you. It gives us the direction of where we're going. So let's just dive right in. It starts out, it says, in the first book, and what that's referring there to is uh, the book of Luke. Most people believe that Luke wrote both, obviously, the book that bears his name and the book of Acts. And so what it's saying there is in the first book, and then he's writing it to O. Theophilus. And another reason that people believe that Luke wrote both books, because Theophilus is only mentioned two times in the Bible, here and at the beginning of Luke. And not much is known about him, but he was probably a friend of Luke's, probably a financial supporter. And if you looked over in Luke uh, chapter, uh, the first chapter of Luke, verses, verse 3, it talks about him, it refers to him as your excellence. So he probably was a Roman officer. That was a title that was reserved for Roman officers. So this was someone, again, that we don't know much about, but it gives us a clue as to who wrote this book. And again, we believe that to be Luke. So Luke says, listen, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's saying, listen, in Luke, I dealt with Jesus' life on earth, his ministry, up until the day that he was taken up into heaven. And that you can read over that last little part there. It said, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. You know, that's, like I said, you could just read over that quickly, but there's such great significance in those just few words there. It says that basically Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was given these commands. I mean, think about that. Jesus, God in flesh, needing the Holy Spirit. That's where he received his power as a flesh, flesh man. I mean, and think about it this way. If, if, if Christ, if God in flesh needed the Holy Spirit, just think about how much we need the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit does so much. I actually put on your table um, a handout that looks like this. It's got a bunch of, uh, of blanks on it, and I thought maybe it would be a good thing you could take home in your quiet time and uh, fill in some of those blanks, and I've got my, the, the, the answer key, and it's just the 20 things that you get from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, and guides us, and regenerates us, and leads us, and sanctifies us, empowers us, fills us, helps us, strengthens us, comforts us. It's what gives us our joy from the Holy Spirit, God inside of us. So Jesus needed it just as much as we do still today. And then there in verse 3, he said, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's saying this is talking about the time after the resurrection. He says there that there were many proofs, basically that there were many, many things that proved that this was the resurrected Christ. Um, 40 days, this is the time period that we often refer to that Jesus walked on the earth after he was resurrected. It's the only time that this is mentioned. But if you went over to 1 Corinthians, you'll remember when we studied this in Corinthians, Paul says that more than 500 people uh, saw Jesus during this time. And then it says there in verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. 
That's another great word, easy to read over, but to wait, to stay. You know, it's just a great reminder to me when I was studying this, just to not get in front of God. You know, just a great reminder that, you know, we can't do it alone. We need God. And that's what he was telling them here, just to wait. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptized there means drenched, like an ocean of water. You're going to be covered with the power of God. You know, in this first five verses is really, and another reason we know that this was Luke that wrote this, these first five verses are really just a summary, if you will, a recap of the book of Luke, and in particular, the last chapter and the last part of Luke. So if you were going to keep your hand there and you wanted to turn over to Luke chapter 24, the last part of it, it talks about when Jesus appears to the disciples. And this is really kind of what he's referring back to. And during that time uh, when he was appearing to the disciples over in Luke, it's recorded that they uh, were able to touch him. That he showed them his hands and his feet and that Jesus ate with them. Uh, and during this time, it says that he explained to them what was happening He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And the command that he was talking about that was given through the Holy Spirit, he talks about that as well down there in verse 47. Basically that the message of Jesus, the repentance and forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed to all the nations. And then, of course, there in verse 49, he talks again about that you should stay in the city until you receive the Holy Spirit. Before then, he was carried up into heaven. There at the, verse 51, it says, While he blessed them, he parted them, and was carried up into heaven. So this is really just kind of what this is doing, these first five verses. It's really summarizing. It's connecting back to the, to the book of Luke, and that's what Luke is doing here. And then when we get into verse 6 through 11, he's really expanding on, upon these last words of Jesus that he spoke of over in the last chapter of Luke. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria And to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, and they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These were probably angels. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So a few things here. I mean, first you see that What do they come back with? They've asked this question before, and that is, is it now time? Are we going to have this kingdom on earth, basically, that, that, you know, we've been promised in Scripture from the Old Testament? And when they've asked this in the past, they've really been rebuked by Jesus over, you know, going to this place. But notice now that he really doesn't rebuke them during this time. He basically just said, no, it's not time. This is the Father's to decide, not for you to worry about or for you to decide. And I think part of that's because it was probably a pretty fair question at this time, wasn't it? I mean, because they knew that 
the new covenant had been instituted. Remember when they had the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with Jesus? He said, this is my blood of the new covenant that's been poured out for you. They, they had been taught this by uh, Jesus in that last chapter of Luke when he's telling them about the prophecy and the, the Psalms being fulfilled. So, you know, they're thinking, hey, this is time. Jesus came, he was on earth, he died on a cross, the new covenant is now in place, and now he's going to rule. We're going to just take over the world, and it's going to be ours. Uh, we'll be true children of the king, ruling in his kingdom. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, it's not time for that. It's not time for that. You've got work to do. There's things for us to accomplish. We've got things to take care of here, and that's when he goes and tells them that, I'm going to give you a helper. You've got a lot to do, a lot to accomplish. I know you need some help. So what am I going to do? I'm going to give you God in the form of the Holy Spirit that's going to live inside of you. And notice what it says there. You know, this isn't an option. It isn't, you know, a possibility. Basically, it says that you will. You will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witness. You will do it. You know, a lot of people look at this in terms of saying this is just a fact. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ and you've received the Holy Spirit, you're going to have two things, power, and then you're going to go out. You're going to have a desire. You're going to want to go out and you're going to want to be a witness. Okay, that's what he's saying. This is not an option. This is a fact. And then after he tells them this, then he is, ascends into heaven and the angels are basically looking on and just saying, hey, stop just gazing up into heaven. Go do what Jesus has told you to do. And really, at that point in time, is when the adventure begins. You know, a lot of books in the Bible are really theological in nature. In fact, when looking at the transition of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, one of the books that we studied was Hebrews. Uh, you remember when we went through the book of Hebrews, very theological in nature, but uh, there's some theology in the book of Acts that we're going to see as we walk through this book. But most of it happens, though, oddly enough, in, in the speeches and the sermons. There's 32 sermons, if you will, or speeches in the book of Acts, mainly by Peter and Paul. And in those speeches or sermons, we hear a bunch of theology. But really, Acts is much more about action. It's about an adventure uh, filled with, with drama uh, and is great theater, if you will. And it's, you know, really one of the great stories of all time because this book is about the birth of the church. It's about the birth of the church. It's the first steps, if you will, of the Great Commission. It's the, it's the transition from Jesus' ministry to the ministry of the church and of the apostles. It's a pivotal moment, pivotal moment in our history as a world, really, happening at this moment. And like any transition, you've got to prepare the next generation, right? You've got to prepare who's coming next. And that's what Jesus did while he was here. He was training. He was preparing, you know, equipping them, giving them what they need. And they needed the most was the power of God. That's what the Holy Spirit was there for. So he equipped, he trained. That's been passed down, obviously, from generation to generation by, by leaders of the church. You know, in that time, they called it a movement. He said it was a movement of God. And the movement begins here in this first 11 verses and this promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll see as we go through this book of Acts 
that the adventure continues. We'll see that when we come to chapter 2, we're going to talk about when Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and when Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved and the church is really formally birthed. And then we'll go and we'll look at great miracles, like in chapter 3 where it talks about the beggar that was healed. And then we'll go and talk about the trials and tribulations, if you will, of Peter and John. They're kind of focused throughout this book, arrested over and over again and beaten. But as they are, the church continues to grow. You know, we'll talk about Ananias and Sophia. Remember that story? They were struck down because they tried to steal from God. That'll increase the tithing right there. Then you get over into chapter 6 and 7, and you start seeing division. You get people involved, you start having problems sometimes, right? Church is growing, you start seeing a lot of pain and division. It leads to the stoning of Stephen when he's preaching and speaking the truth. And then when we move over into chapter 8, it starts talking about, we start seeing more persecution of the church. It intensifies, but as it does, the disciples scatter, the church grows, and Paul, Apostle Paul, is the ringleader of church persecution. But then in chapter 9, we get to talk about the conversion of Paul. The church grows some more. And then from there, in chapter 10, we'll get to see how the gospel is taken both to the Jew and then to the Greek. In chapter 11, at Antioch, we get to talk about, for the first time, uh, when we were called Christians, when the first time that term was used, bringing together the Jew and the, the Gentile. And then we'll see in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, just over and over again, Peter and Paul preaching the gospel, arrested, beaten, intimidated. But during this time, we're always going to see that they're preaching the gospel, continuing to preach the gospel. And then when we get to chapter 16, it starts up with Paul in the first of his three missionary journeys, uh, taking the gospel to the world. Uh, he takes it to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Athens. He takes it to Corinth and again to Antioch and Ephesus. He goes back through Jerusalem and eventually on his way to Rome. But all the while telling people about Jesus. You know, I was looking at a lot of different notes and commentaries about the book of Acts. It's, a, like I said, a pivotal part in the history of, of, our, of us really as Christians. And I saw one in the ESV notes that describes it like this. It says, the book of Acts is structured on a cyclical principle in which a common pattern keeps getting repeated. Christian leaders arise and preach the gospel. Listeners are converted and added to the church. Opponents, often Jewish but sometimes Gentile, begin to persecute the Christian leaders, and God intervenes to rescue those leaders and otherwise protect the church. And you see that played out just in over and over again as the church has grow, grown over the years, still playing out today, I would say. It's really such an amazing story if you think about it. Uh, if you really, like, to me, whenever I uh, get questions about, you know, how can you really believe in what you believe, and I'm, you know, from an apologetic standpoint, trying to, you know, defend my faith, I will tell you that one of the things that I go to right away is just that, you know, if something like this wasn't true, how in the world could you ever explain that we're here today? How could you not believe it? How could you not believe it? I mean, if you're those disciples, I mean, just put yourself in their 
position for a moment. I mean, your leader, this person that you followed for these past three years has just been murdered on a cross. If you didn't really believe that that was him, that you touched his hands and that you ate with, and that was a resurrected Christ, if you didn't really believe that and know that he was God, would you have ever done what they, they did? Never. You would have given up. You'd have went back to fishing. Right, which is where they went really in the beginning until they knew that Jesus had, had been raised from the dead. Guzik's commentary says this. It says, Acts tells a remarkable expansion of Christianity. The expansion from Jerusalem to Rome in a remarkable story. Humanly speaking, Christianity had nothing going for it. It had no money, no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel, and it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It taught truths that were incredible to an unregenerate world. It was a subject to the most intense hatred and persecutions. And yet, with all of that, I still stand here today proclaiming uh, the good news in the gospel. And why? Well, because these 12, anointed by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were willing, first and foremost, and they believed. They believed, and they never, ever gave up. I was... Going uh, to New York this past week on a crazy day trip, and in the morning I was going to try to get a bunch of stuff done, but I ended up watching a movie as I was flying to New York that morning at a 6.20 a.m. flight, and uh, I watched the movie The Founder. Has anybody ever seen this movie about Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's? Michael Keaton, yeah. It's a really a pretty well-done movie. I always judge movies by whether or not I can show it to my children, and I think this one's pretty close. It's about 95% there. But it's a fascinating story about Ray Kroc, who some believe is really the founder of McDonald's, when in reality it was two brothers that were named McDonald in San Bernardino, uh, California, and Ray had went out there and had convinced them to give him the first franchise, really the entire franchise in the beginning, uh, and one of the things he told them, I thought it was fascinating, he was saying to them, he said, when he was trying to convince them, they kept saying no. And you know, he drove all over the country you know, selling these mixers, basically, for milkshakes. And he went back to them, and he, he said, you know, I've driven all over this country, and all I see in all these little small towns is I see churches, and I see the American flag. So I see crosses and flags, crosses and flags, crosses and flags. And as he's saying that, I'm just thinking, man... That sounds like a whole much better time than today, doesn't it? You know, and then when he was explaining it to him, and he wasn't a religious man, but he was saying, hey, yeah, they're filled with these communities, these churches with crosses that are filled with people that are like-minded, that want to help others and care about people. And I'm like, yeah, we need more of that. Uh, and then they're filled with these flags, so they've got a lot of patriotism. And what did he say to them next? He said, I want to make McDonald's. Uh, the new church of America. <laughs> now, that's where he lost me. But in some respects, honestly, you know, they succeeded to a great degree. I mean, one of the largest companies in the world, uh, I read something that said that 1% of all the food consumed in this world is consumed from McDonald's. You know, just, just an amazing story. And, you know, there's a lot of bad parts to it. He wasn't a really good guy. He really kind of tricked these guys out of, their interest in McDonald's, the two founders, and uh, they had initially were promised 1% royalty from McDonald's, which today would be more than $100 million 
every year. So it wasn't a really good story in some respects, but the one thing that I got from it is that how much he believed in the mission of McDonald's. Uh, he certainly believed in, in what he was doing. Uh, he was willing to do about whatever it takes to, to do that, uh, and he never gave up. I mean, there were obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and he never gave up. And I just started thinking, man, just imagine, just imagine if we as Christians took that same approach with our faith and our belief. You know, if we had that same attitude that we're, we're going to win no matter what, we're, we're going to do whatever it takes. We have such a deep belief that nothing's going to stop us. I mean, imagine what we could do. And you have to look no further than the disciples than to see an example of that. I mean, they had that. They were willing, just like he was. They, they believed in the mission. They believed in what they were speaking on behalf of Christ. I mean, they, they truly believed that this was life-giving, that what they had was going to save lives. Sometimes I don't think we approach it that way, do we? That we're going to save lives, that this was, I've got to get this out to people because they need this. And they endured so much persecution over and over, beatings, imprisonments. It didn't matter. They never gave up. Some died violent deaths, like Peter, who was said to have been crucified upside down. Just violent deaths, but they never, ever gave up. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they never, ever gave up. And then when I started thinking about that, it really, in, in recognizing this book of Acts and where it falls in kind of history of, of Christianity, I started thinking to myself, you know, really today, today, this story continues to be written, doesn't it? Through us. What Jesus began in his earthly ministry continues because of us. What's really great is that today, we are the movement of God. We're the movement that they talked about when they were back there and everybody was saying, this, what is this movement of the Christ, this movement of God? That's us. Today, we are that movement. I want to play a video because I know I don't have much time. We're going to be packing boxes tonight. But I want to play a quick video. Um, I've said this, said this before to him, but I get all of anything I know about sports, I have to get from Stuart because I don't care much about it. I don't want to score. I don't care much about sports, so I only learn anything from, from Stuart. And as it relates to music, I would be completely lost. I would still be listening to, I can imagine, if it wasn't for my wife. So I never know anything about music until she, after about four or five months, uh, convinces me to listen to something. And then I wear it out for about six months, and then I go back to her for the next thing. So this is one she reminded me that I gave. And I have like a few songs that when I work out on Saturday before we come to church, it's kind of, I play it over and over in my head just to kind of get my mind right in terms of why I do what I do. And you know, why we do what we do, and this is one of those songs that I thought was pretty relevant to this. We're moving. We're moving. We're, we're moving from death to life. We're moving from darkness to light. We're moving from defeat to victory tonight. Somebody's crossing over from shame to grace tonight. Somebody's moving from fear to faith tonight. Jump up on your feet. Somebody's moving from sorrow to joy tonight. Move now! 
serve. We got a gospel to preach. We got broken hearts to buy. We've got hurting people to heal. Come on, move, church. Move. We're not waiting on the move of God. We are a move of God. Come on and shout. still move how many believe God still reigns our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name your kingdom come your will be done here and now says uh, we're not waiting on a move of God we are a move of God I think way too often we as a church we talk a lot about we need a movement of God and a lot of times for me it just seems like an excuse not to go out and be the movement of God we already are I love that we got a job to do he said and really all it takes is a willingness a belief and an attitude of Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. Remember, it's not an option, right? It's a fact. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got the power of God inside of you. And you will go be a witness here in Dallas and North Texas and Houston and Florida and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, and how it speaks to us. God, thank you that you've equipped us, Lord, to be your servants. Lord, I pray, God, that we would sense the urgency, Lord, of 
getting out and telling this broken and lost and dark world how much you love them. Lord, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just fill us with your power, fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, change us. Change the way we view things, Lord. Make us radical for you. Lord, make us radical for you and the things that matter to you, Lord, and as lost souls. This is why we're here, God, to take the gospel to the lost. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.